May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it is uh, just so wonderful to be back with you and to have the chance to see um, such dear friends and Christian brothers and sisters um, yesterday and today. And yesterday, as the first part of my three sermons, I talked about the fact that we would be spending an evening with Peter over the next couple of days. And yesterday, the first part of our evening with Peter, I spoke about the lessons that Jesus taught Peter during the foot washing prior to the Last Supper, culminating in the fact that Jesus was showing Peter and the apostles that he was the suffering servant long foretold in Isaiah, the one who would bear our iniquities and cleanse us, not from dirty feet, which was only a foreshadowing, but from our sins through his self-giving death on the cross. Well, today we're going to jump forward a little to a little bit to later that same night to the Garden of Gethsemane, a reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. After supper, Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of the Lord. I have often thought that that time in Gethsemane had to be one of the loneliest moments that Jesus faced. There in the dark hours of the night, knowing that at that moment Jesus was in the act of betraying him, knowing that the apostles, his friends and students, would all abandon him and scatter, knowing that he would be left alone to face the passion and the crucifixion. And sadly, also realizing 
that even at this point, the apostles didn't really get what was about to happen and didn't really even begin to understand the magnitude of the great and terrible work of salvation that Jesus was about to accomplish. And so Jesus needed time with the Father. And in the darkness, he went into the grove of olive trees to pray, seeking solace and strength from his Father in order to bear the weight of the cross. And there in the darkness on the Mount of Olives, Jesus asked one simple thing of his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Watch with me. Stay awake and pray with me while I pray. But they failed. Their bravado and their pledges to stand by Jesus, no matter what, were swallowed up in their postprandial torpor and they fell asleep. They were human. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, they really relived Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. They were disobedient. They did what they wanted. Sin remained. They failed. But Jesus, fully God and fully man, did not fail that night. Yes, he struggled. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he did not fail. He was not disobedient. But my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus would drink the cup. The cup spoken of by the Old Testament prophets, by Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. The cup that was filled to the brim with the foaming sins of the whole world throughout all time, mixed with God's righteous wrath and judgment. He would drink it. A cup too terrible to even contemplate for most of us. But the cup had to be drunk. It would not simply go away as much as we would like to pretend that it would. It couldn't be shoved to the side and ignored because sin is corrosive and would have continued to eat away at the world, destroying God's children. It couldn't be ignored because judgment must be passed And things must be set right, and recompense had to be made. But God knew that we frail humans could not drink that cup. Although the sin was ours and the judgment righteous, God knew that we could not bear the full weight of that sin or of that judgment. And he knew that we could not make recompense sufficient to atone for the sins of the world. But the cup had to be drunk. And God wanted to be with us. 
So in his great mercy and from his love, God sent the only begotten son to become human and to do what we could not. God the Son incarnate, Jesus Christ, would drink the cup that we couldn't, and in so doing, he would die so that we could live. And that night, why poor old Peter and James and John took a nap, Jesus prayed in anguish as he prepared to drain to the dregs the cup of sin and judgment, once and for all, as he died nailed to the cross. While we slept, Jesus was at work, protecting us in his obedient arms of prayer. That was really driven home to me a few months ago in a very visual way. I was at a retreat in Colorado, and there on the grounds of the retreat house, on the western edge where you'd see the setting sun, was a statue of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the figure of Jesus was kneeling with his hands clasped and his elbows resting on a boulder. And his eyes were lifted, looking at a cross that was placed a few yards off. And as I sat there at sunset one evening, thinking about that time in Gethsemane and praying, a squirrel came running across the ground, darting from shrub to shrub, being very cautious of predators. And finally, he ran up the robe of the statue of Jesus, and he hopped onto the boulder, right there between Jesus' praying arms, protected in the sort of triangle made by the statue of Jesus. And it was then that he set to work eating the little feast of nuts that he had obviously stored there on the rock. There in the safety of Jesus' arms. And that, for me, became a very visual recall of what happened that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. That because Jesus stayed awake and prayed that night and accepted the cup of God's judgment, we are safe. We can feast and have life. For it is only in the arms of Christ that we are protected from the predations of the evil one. It is only because Jesus stayed awake when we slept that we are safe. It is only because Jesus was obedient, even while we sinned, that we have been made righteous. Because Jesus went to the cross and drank the cup of judgment, we now drink the cup of the Eucharist. When Jesus says, drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Because he swallowed death 
We get to drink the cup of well-aged wine in the great feast at the heavenly banquet. Could you not stay awake one hour, Peter? Well, we, like Peter, have to be honest and answer, No, Lord. We are sinful humans, and we could not. But then we can get on our knees and give thanks for his obedience, for his grace, for his love, because he was obedient to the end, and because he stayed awake, protecting us in his arms of prayer, even as we slept. And because he accepted the cup, even as we could not. And we can but say, thanks be to God that he was stayed awake while we slept. Amen. Amen.